Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Thank you for listening to our study of the Gospel of Matthew. In this episode, we will be in chapter 10, verses 26 to 42, finishing up what is known as the Mission Discourse. It has become clear and will continue to become clear that the then-current religious leadership over the nation of Israel was corrupt. Uh, The people are like sheep without shepherds, and so Jesus selects and sends 12 apostles who are best viewed as a new leadership over the nation. What we have seen in chapter 10 are the marching orders given to these important delegates of the Messiah. Now, if there's one key word that summarizes the essence of 10, 26 to 42, it is fear. The idea of fear has fallen on hard times. Uh, In preparation, I did a Google search for quotes about fear, and of course, thousands of results surfaced. And guess what? They were all bad, placing fear as the enemy. Now, I admit that I didn't read all of the quotes, but the ones that I looked at were all negative. Now, there's a lot of truth in uh, the quotes that I read. Um, There's a kind of crippling, irrational fear that often hinders us. But, you know, fear can also be a good thing. I'm thankful for the natural response of fear. And sometimes we need more fear. The other day, I looked out the window of my home and I saw my eight-year-old son playing on the snowy roof of our shed. And I couldn't help but think, well, that boy's going to have to learn some fear one of these days. Fear can be a necessary and appropriate response to recognizing a very real danger. What if I slip off the roof and break my arm? Though for many of us, uh, it's a natural tendency to avoid talking about fear. It's a disservice to someone to not warn them of a very possible negative consequence of an action. And the Lord Jesus here in the mission discourse, as he sends out his apostles to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, doesn't hesitate to bring up the subject of fear. He has predicted the difficult circumstances they are about to enter in the previous unit. In our last episode, we talked about how the apostles are not only shepherds, but that they're also sheep, sheep among wolves. And we had a brief warning in verse 22, the one who endures to the end will be saved. But it's in this text for our episode today uh, that the challenge of facing up to the difficulties that lie ahead is most brought into the spotlight. Now, the structure is a bit complicated, and we do not have time to investigate it fully. But suffice it to say that there are several intertwined themes that run throughout this section. So, as I read through the text, keep your eye out for uh, the negative incentives, the fear of God and the fear of man as well as the positive incentives, again, both God's care and people's care, starting in verse 26. So, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul." Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But 
even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Hopefully, you were able to see the different major ideas surface at different locations. Now, let's begin by considering the important topic of the fear of man. Jesus continues with a thrust of what he has been saying by talking about how the disciples do have legitimate valid reasons to be afraid of human beings. He doesn't shrink back from warning them that they will have enemies. There are those who will kill the body, as he says in verse 28. And even more tragically, we find out in verses 34 to 36 that these enemies will come from sources where we would expect to find acceptance and safety. The closest of all ties are families. We often remember verses like the ones from Luke's Christmas account, where the angel announces, Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. But it's easy to forget the stories like the ones about the slaughter of the innocents in Matthew. Jesus has come for peace, eventually. But first, there is a time of great persecution, which will even culminate in the time of capital T, tribulation, discussed in Matthew 24. Jesus doesn't hesitate to be a divisive figure, which will cause great pain. Uh, that's this uh, interesting double entendre of him bringing a sword. It's got a double meaning to it. It connotes both a destruction, but also division. And both of those ideas are here in verses 34 to 36. Jesus describes this sword effect by means of an unintroduced direct citation. In other words, he doesn't say what we've kind of grown used to, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, dot, dot, dot. But nonetheless, we have a direct citation of Micah 7, 6, although some Bibles have it in quotes or in italics and others don't. Micah is talking about the social injustice that existed at his time and which caused him to call out to God for deliverance. And the passage ends with a prediction that the nations will see and, and lick the dust like a serpent and turn in dread to the Lord. And then it climaxes with this famous and beautiful question, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression? He doesn't retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us and he will tread our iniquities underfoot. 
So Micah 7 looks forward to the end times restoration. Later Jewish writing will talk about the details of this passage as being in the footprint of the Messiah. But the idea is that the nation suffers as Micah waits in hope during uh, the midst of corruption and persecution in his day. So the Lord Jesus' citation of this text is in effect reminding his readers that in a very real way, though they are proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand, uh, there are real ways the disciples are still in the not yet aspect and will have to suffer as they wait in hope, just like Micah did. But though the disciples have quote-unquote good reasons to fear people, they have better reasons to fear God. Now, this isn't one of those times when no fear is an option. A line has been drawn in the sand, and the disciples must remember that as scary as the prospect is of having the religious leaders be their enemy, it would be even worse to have God as their enemy. The logic is clear in verse 28. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is stark language, and we can't afford to water down the Lord Jesus' challenge here in order to have comfortable theology. I want to have comfortable theology. I want to have everything all nice and neat and figured out. But he challenges his disciples here to fear him who can kill the body and soul in hell. This shows that the alternatives in verses 32 to 33, which are being acknowledged before the Father versus being denied before the Father, need to be understood in final judgment terms. To be denied before the Father reminds us of 727, those to whom the Lord says, depart from me, I never knew you. Or in the words of verse 28 that we just read, to have both body and soul be destroyed in hell. Again, the requirements here are difficult. Verse 39 talks about losing a life to find it. In clear parallelism with verse 38, which says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. This is a reference to the ancient Roman practice of cruelly forcing a crucifixion victim to carry his or her own patibulum, uh, the horizontal cross beam, to the execution site, where it would then be fixed to the vertical beam already in the ground. We have come to use carrying our cross in all sorts of different contexts today. For example, a person might talk about an annoying family relative as just a cross I need to bear. But in this context, in Matthew 10, the necessary work of carrying a cross would bring up ideas of uh, signing one's own death sentence or putting your head on the chopping block or something like that. It refers to embracing the hardship, including persecution, that comes with being a disciple of Christ. Again, as we talked about last time, it is important to attend to the art of crossing the application bridge. For the original audience, this meant literal death, in fact, literal crucifixion for some of them. And uh, we can't forget that for many Christians even today, that application is just as literal. But for a lot of us, the application is not so one-to-one. This doesn't necessarily mean that we aren't real disciples or that we should feel guilty about having it easier than the apostles. Instead, we should praise God for allowing us the mercy and the freedoms that we enjoy. But in these circumstances, uh, it does require that we are willing to make whatever sacrifices are attached 
to faithfully following the teaching and the command of the Lord Jesus. But it's at this point that the question just naturally arises. What if we falter in our discipleship? What if we don't always take up the cross like we should? What if we don't always acknowledge him? And sometimes in some sort of way we deny him, whether in word or action. Now, it's significant that the same word for deny him um, is repeated in the account about Peter during the Lord's crucifixion. And he was, he's number one on the list that we read earlier in chapter 10. He was acting out of fear, uh, the fear of human beings, because he didn't want to be forced to carry his own patibulum. He didn't want his own cross. And how does the Lord respond to him? It's over, Peter, you blew it. Not at all. So the Lord's description here pertains to the demands of discipleship, but taken in its overall context, even with the scope of the, the Gospel of Matthew, there's a balance uh, with the Lord's grace who freely forgave us all things, to borrow the phrase from the parable in Matthew 18. But though our passage talks about the negative incentives, the fear of people and the more severe fear of God, uh, there are words of comfort as well. Verses 40 to 42 uh, concludes about whoever receives a prophet will get a prophet's reward. And this operates on several levels and certainly holds out a promise for all those who will receive the message. But it also functions to encourage the prophet or righteous person. They can expect rejection, yes. But, you know, there will be those who actually want their message. There will be people who benefit from their work. So the shepherds need to carry on because the sheep really do need them and will respond. And though there are some people who will respond with persecution, there are also going to be those who accept and provide for them and care for them, even if it's just a cup of cold water. But the clearest words of comfort are in verses 29 to 31. God knows the hairs of our head. This is more than just omniscience. He knows about all of our problems. We are worth more than two sparrows. If God cares about birds, how much more important are we who are valued at a far greater price? Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.